Gabrielle Marie, philosopher, entrepreneur with almost 10 years of career and business mentoring under my belt. My purpose in life? World peace, of course, but in a slightly humbler fashion, helping people to say fuck it and free themselves from the stuff that keeps them from living fully. Get unstuck. Get unstuck. Hi, welcome to a new episode of this podcast. Episode 9 already. Can you believe it? I just spent a week relaxing and being sick from the flu, actually, in the Norwegian fjords, and it absolutely lifted my spirits. I'm super chill right now and not stressed at all. It's absolutely wonderful what a week with friends and family can do, right? When I was there and reading a book on the sofa under a warm blanket by the fireplace, there was this moment where I looked around and I realized that I was in the most positive and calming environment. Everyone around me was reading a book, watching TV, talking, just being together. And then it dawned on me. The reason why I was so peaceful, why I was so positive and calm, was because I was there. Of course, the fact that I wasn't working (laughs) clearly helped. I'm not going to deny it. But even without working, had I been in a different environment, I would probably not have felt the same. And this is what I want to talk about today. How our environment influences our emotions. And our emotions then influence our thinking. Our thinking influences our actions. And finally, how our actions then shape our life. This made me think of Elsa, a very cute, bubbly 27-year-old who came to me feeling stuck about everything in her life. And I mean everything. We had been working together for a while and Elsa was starting to sort of put a plan together to start to become a freelance copywriter. She wanted to work for herself for many years, but she didn't know how to get started. And she was also afraid to disappoint her parents who were paying for her college education and who, like good parents do, wanted nothing more for her than to start working at building a successful career as a doctor or a lawyer. I think it must have been her fourth or fifth session when she arrived in my virtual office with a big smile and a little bit of cheekiness in her eyes. Muriel, she said, as she settled into our time together and greeted me. I've had a realization this week, and I still can't believe it. I looked at Elsa with gentle joy. You know, she continued, the process that you've taught me, the way that we're working on my goals and my projects, I think I've figured out how it works. I think I can use it for everything in my life. The mental shift that Elsa had made was the transition from looking at her life and what happened to her from the outside, waiting for someone to make things better for her, to seeing her life from the inside out and realizing that she was the one in charge and able to make all the changes that she wanted. 
at that moment, she realized she was in the driver's seat and that, as Henry Burson says so well, the future is not what's going to happen, but what we're going to do. The funny thing is that many people experience this sort of honeymoon phase when they start to get unstuck. It's absolutely normal because all of a sudden, everything starts to change. And all of a sudden, you have a say in how everything is changing. Before, you would have been thinking about all of the things that you wanted to do, but never really doing them. And now, all of a sudden, you're taking actions and things are moving forward. People usually get pretty excited about that. And of course, they do because it's the most exciting thing ever. I'm always excited about change as well. And the same was true for Elsa. She was super excited, she was bubbly, she was laughing. But then, a little bit later, when the firework dust had settled in the same session, Elsa understood the full extent of what she just uncovered. First, she let out sort of a big sigh of relief. She was happy she had found a formula to move herself forward and to achieve the things she wanted to achieve. But then quickly... That sigh was followed by something that sounded more like, I don't know, a giant exclamation mark of frustration or something. I asked Elsa to describe what she was thinking and what she was feeling in that moment. And she said that up until now, she'd been so happy realizing that she had control, that she had the power to change her life the way that she wanted to. Of course, I agreed with her. But now she said... I don't know. There's so much to do. I feel like I've made all of the wrong decisions. I feel like I've been stuck forever. And I feel mostly that my parents will never understand. Now, I've become used to certain ideas showing up at certain turning points in the change process. People go through phases when they get unstuck. It's normal. It's natural. This is one of those ideas at one of those very particular phases. Elsa was sort of right on time with her realizations because, yes, it's true when we finally understand that being stuck is a feeling and not a fact and that we're the ones keeping ourselves feeling this way, excitement can really make room for stress and anxiety again. Although with a very different focus, we don't stress or feel anxious over not having any say in our lives. Instead, we get super stressed and feel super anxious because all of a sudden we understand it's all up to us. We have every say in it. And although this newfound knowledge is liberating and exciting, it also makes us realize how often we give that power away and let others rule our lives. This often feels like a lot of time has been wasted. I know it was the case for me when I first started to realize that I could actually change my circumstances. And the second thing that often happens is that all of a sudden we feel that we're not in the right place anymore. One thing that was difficult for Elsa to keep going, for instance, was the lack of support from her immediate family and environment. None of Elsa's friends understood what she meant when she said that she wanted to become a freelance copywriter. And her well-meaning parents, they were just pressuring her to finish college and to become a doctor or a lawyer like her siblings. 
It's not that they didn't accept their choices per se, it's just that they didn't understand them. So it was really hard for them to support her. They were sort of letting her do her thing so that she could take it out of her system, you know, waiting for the day that she would see it didn't work and that she would come to her senses and then go back to college. Not an ideal environment for Elsa to thrive in, is it? Here's a universal truth that is so often overlooked. Be mindful of who you spend your time with, who you share your dreams with, and who you look to for support in your efforts to change and get unstuck. Your environment holds your identity together. Your environment will often be close to the changes that you want to make. And that is because the people in your life don't have the same dreams you do. Perhaps they're really happy with how things are and they're not conscious enough to see that things could or should be different. It's not their fault, it's just how things are. And that's why it often feels like you have to change everything when you want to change just one thing about your life or work. And in a way, you have to. Just recently, I was talking with a friend about how she had some massive changes happening in her life this year and how it was super hard to get her husband and her husband's family to understand what the new version of her was like. She's been a people pleaser like me her entire life, someone who would agree to pretty much anything someone else would propose or offer to do. But now that she was changing and becoming more assertive, she noticed that she had more conflict with the people in her life. And that's because she didn't agree anymore to the things that she used to agree to. She decided, for instance, that she wasn't going to drink anymore. But her husband and her husband's family have a habit of bonding over a glass of wine at dinner. And even though she told them many times that she didn't drink anymore, at the last Christmas dinner, they kept on asking her if she wanted a glass of wine. Every time she said no, every time they wanted to know why, even though she had told them many times before. And the sad thing is, they really mean no harm to her. But those people and that environment aren't very healthy for my friend, at least not as long as they don't really get the fact that she's really serious and wants to change. Now, when working with people to help them get unstuck, I tend to return to what Jim Rohn so beautifully put. He's an American entrepreneur, he's an author, he's a motivational speaker, and he's the one who famously said, we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. From personal experience, I know that statement to be true. When I look back on the environments that I was in at specific periods of my life and what I was doing, I can see a direct correlation between the people in my life and the decisions I was making or even the dreams I was having. Growing up in a poor lower middle class family, all I heard my father say was that money was bad, that you had to suffer to get it and that someone was always looking to steal it away from you. He used to famously say, there's only a fine line between being able to pay your bills and ending up in the gutter somewhere. I can smile at it now when I I hear it or say it, but when I was younger, it terrified me. 
And it's true that my father had many problems in his life and money or his beliefs around money were just one of them. But none of those issues and ingrained beliefs were genuinely apparent to me as long as I lived at home. For the longest time, I had negative beliefs about money and I just thought those beliefs were the truth. Because I was at home and everybody was thinking the same thing in that, in that context and that environment, I wasn't even thinking that the truth could be something else. So because of this, it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Unconsciously, through my behavior, I allowed it to come true. That money is something other people take away from you or that you must work hard for. I worked very hard and made good money in my entrepreneurial years. I was also giving a lot of that hard-earned cash away to romantic partners, to my family, and even to people that I hardly knew. Those people, most of them, didn't share my work ethic, but I assure you, they really enjoyed buying expensive things because of my hard labor. And the funny thing is, nobody forced me to do it. I did it all by myself. I gave it to partners, people in need, family men members, underqualified people that I still decided to employ, simply because I believed I didn't deserve money. It was what I'd always known and what had been imprinted on me. Long after I'd left my parents' house and lived on my own, the echo of those beliefs around money still rang true for me. Your environment is like a soup. As long as you, like a piece of carrot, let's say, are swirling around in it with the potatoes, the onions, the celery, you won't escape their flavors rubbing off on you. To change your life, you must choose a different soup. Now, as true as that may be, I know I'm not the greatest at coming up with good metaphors. <laughs> I'm really sorry about that, but I'm sure you get the point. Choose a different soup if you're not happy with the one you're in. Now, following Hegelian philosophy, I believe that other people hold your identity partly together. You, the self, are aware of yourself because you're separate, because you're a distinct identity from someone else, from another self, and because you're seen through their eyes. Being someone is created through the process of separation from the other but also of recognizing in yourself the humanity that you see in front of you in that other. In that sense, you not only become the people that you surround yourself with, but those people also profoundly shape you. People always affect our identity and who we are. Our interactions with those people really shape us. That means that nobody in your inner circles or networks or the people that you spend a lot of time with are neutral to you. And it's really possible to be stuck because of the people in your life. Some of them, like Glenn, my therapist says, are positive sponsors and some are negative sponsors. The positive ones are the ones that help shape a strong and whole identity for you. The negative ones are the ones that encourage or enable you into bad habits or thoughts. Or, you know, it could even be more subtle than that. They can be the ones that simply don't believe in you, 
question your choices, that will warn you for everyone and everything, or that will make assumptions about other people in your life for you. All of those things will influence you without you knowing it. Because our environment profoundly affects us, it's crucial to control it as much as possible. One thing you can do is to surround yourself with people who show you who you can become instead of reminding you of the person that you don't want to be. There's this really cool quote by Confucius that I love, and it says, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I think it's true. That's why I always seek out new mentors, new knowledge, new rooms to be able to grow and learn from. But the same is true of rooms where you might not be the smartest, but where the people around you aren't very nice, or they don't share your values, or they don't have your best interest at heart. When you find yourself in rooms like that, it's time to find a different room. Another powerful thing to know about your environment is what James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, a book I highly recommend, I'll add it in the show notes, uh, says, and he says, even though we all think we have complete control over what we do every day and the choices that we make, he argues, and with him, a lot of science and scientific research, that a lot of the choices we think we make are made for us by our environment. What does this mean? It means that we respond to the cues that surround us. That's why the coffee shop counters, for instance, are filled with sweets and cookies, why grocery stores have grabbable stuff throughout the checkout aisles, and why it's so hard to resist something at the beauty shop when you only went in to try some perfume. I'm guilty of that one, I have to say. But everything is so shiny and looks so beautiful in there. I mean, it's almost as if they know what they're doing, right? What is available around you is your default number one option. And they absolutely know, without realizing it, everything that you gather around you influences your decisions. It influences your habits, your identity, and so your life. And although this may sound impossible to address, it's actually a super good thing that we're put together that way because it means that you have another type of agency over your life that can help you get unstuck and achieve your goals. As James Clear says, by changing your surroundings, you can place a hurdle in the way of bad behavior and remove the barrier to good ones. He refers to this strategy as environmental design. And what this means is that your environment can make it automatic to make better choices for yourself and create new and better habits. So you won't have to use willpower, which, as I mentioned in my new Get Unstuck book, which, by the way, is finally finished. And you can sign up for the waiting list to be notified when it's available on my website. I will put the link in the show notes. So we were talking about willpower, which doesn't exist anyway, or you won't need any control for your behavior to get there. So if you're feeling stuck, it might be time to take a look at your environment to identify what in your surroundings could be contributing to the problem and how changing that could help you get unstuck and make progress. 
that's it for this episode. But before I go, here's this week's fuck it, let's do it experiment. This week, I want you to consider, ta-da, obviously your environment. What needs to change for you to get unstuck, to become happier, to achieve your goals? Ask yourself that question and then start with small changes. Remember that everything is connected. Even the tiniest change will have big effects in the long run. For instance, focus on one thing in your environment that needs changing first and then build up from there. What I'm going to do this week is I'm going to reorganize my desk. I bought a new desk earlier in the year and in the beginning it was so clean and everything was organized and now I've noticed that I get super distracted for from everything that's on it. Um, books especially, but still I keep piling and piling and piling more of them on there. So it's really time for me to do a big cleanup and that's what I'm going to do this week. Here's this week's little act of daily rebellion for you if you feel up for it. I want you to go all in on being kind and compassionate with yourself. I want you to love on yourself. I want you to do it with passion and conviction. Whenever you feel like you're failing, that something's not going right, that you're feeling down, that you're not good enough, I want you to remind yourself that you are a worthy and capable badass, that you are amazing, that you are so incredibly great and wonderful and beautiful because you are. And if you feel like sharing your experiment or want to let me know what loving on yourself is doing for you this week, or if you're not sure what a good experiment might be for you, don't hesitate to email me at muriel at murielmarie.com or send me a DM on Instagram at murielmarie. Thank you so much for listening. Have fun and talk to you next week. Bye. Just a heads up, I'm not a therapist or a doctor, so if you're not feeling your best mentally or physically and you need some help, please make sure to consult with a medical professional or a therapist.